All right, Revelation chapter 14, verse 20. Revelation chapter 14, verse 20. It says, And the winepress was trodden without the city, and blood came out of the winepress, uh, even unto the horse uh, bridles, uh, by the space of a thousand six hundred furlongs. Let's go ahead and go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Lord God, just uh, thank you for this evening that you've given us. Lord, we've got a lot to be thankful for. Uh, Lord, uh, as bad as things may get and as uh, dire as the prayer requests may be, uh, Lord, we're thankful to know that we've got a home in heaven. Uh, Lord, you've taken care of the, the, the most desperate of our problems, God. Uh, Lord, you've taken care of our eternity for us. Uh, Lord, I pray that you help us as we endeavor to open up your book and study these things and learn what it is that you have to come, God. Uh, Lord, help us to uh, use it uh, to inspire us, uh, to uh, push us forward in putting out the gospel. And these things I pray in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. I don't know, uh, you know, I don't know how much of this is. Some of this will feel repetitious uh, from where we left off last week. But if you go ahead and turn to the book of Nahum, uh, Nahum chapter 1. Nahum chapter 1. We'll look at a few verses here in Nahum chapter 1. That's, uh, as you get into some of your minor prophets, you'll get a lot of second advent references and places in the minor prophets. Uh, Nahum chapter 1 gives you a, a real good, uh, complete perspective on who the Lord is. Hopefully I've got the right always makes me nervous whenever I see uh, people, you know, uh, look at each other. I'm <laughs> looking at Asa and Jennifer. I'm like, oh, man, do I have the wrong, the wrong reference over here? Oh, oh, okay. All right. <laughs> Nahum chapter 1. Uh, we'll look at verse, uh, uh, verse 2. Nahum chapter 1, verse 2. Uh, God is jealous, and the Lord revengeth. That's, that's your Lord. Uh, the same Lord that you have in the New Testament uh, is the same Lord that he's talking about here in the Old Testament. Uh, Nahum chapter 1, verse 2, God is jealous and the Lord revengeth. The Lord revengeth and is furious. The Lord will take vengeance on his adversaries and he reserveth wrath for his enemies. The Lord is slow to anger. That's your long-suffering. And great in power. That's an understatement. It's amazing to me sometimes places in the Bible where uh, something like that just goes understated. Uh, by him all things consist. Uh, without him was nothing made that was made. That's, uh, that's power. Uh, <laughs> that's uh, an amazing amount of power. So just to say uh, and great in power, is, uh, is a sm <laughs> that's, that's too small of a statement it seems like. He says over there in the book of Genesis, it says, and he created the stars also. Uh, he didn't even use a whole verse to talk about the creation of the entire universe that's out there. He spends more time talking about you and how you are made and the earth and all the things that are in it. Uh, he's slow to anger and great in power and will not at all acquit the wicked. Uh, that says something about the Lord's justice system. Uh, the Lord doesn't let somebody off the hook. Um, he doesn't let the wicked off the hook. You want to get off the hook, you get in Jesus Christ. That's, that's the only way you get off. That's the only way you get out of your situation is you have to have an advocate, and that advocate needs to be Jesus Christ. If it's not him, the Bible says that you're wicked, and he says, I will not at all acquit you. 
Um, it reminds me of uh, oh, a picture I saw, I don't know, it was a week or two ago, had this picture of this real rough looking, you know, kindergartner, and they dressed him up to look, look real rough and mean and that kind of thing. And the, uh, the little statement underneath of it said, you know, the kindergarten teacher asked, his, asked the kindergarten class, you know, what comes at the end of a sentence? And uh, the, the rough looking little kindergarten looked back at his teacher and said, an acquittal. Or, <laughs> so, so, or, or an appeal. I think it was an appeal. I don't know. <laughs> I think, but it was something along those lines. And it makes me wish I was a lot more clever whenever I was little. But uh, uh, the Lord says, and will not, all, uh, will not at all acquit the wicked. I ought to give you some comfort if you've ever uh, seen somebody who was guilty, dead to rights, and got off on a technicality. Uh, outside of Jesus Christ, nobody gets off on a technicality. Uh, there's, there's, never gonna, there's not a situation in the Lord's justice system where there's not enough evidence to convict. Or, you know, well, he didn't get his Miranda rights read to him, so, I mean, all the evidence shows that, you know, uh, he did this or she did that, but, uh, you know, because of the, the chain of custody on the evidence uh, was lost at this point over here, we really can't use that evidence in a court of law, and, and, and you know, and, and somebody ends up going free, right, that, that was wicked, that, was a, that did it, that was guilty. There's plenty of guilty people that go free, the Lord says, and will not at all acquit the wicked. The Lord hath his way in the whirlwind and in the storm. That ought to give you some, uh, some insight to whirlwinds and storms. You think, oh, well, you know, listen, I understand what the Bible says. The Bible says that the devil is the god of forces. I get that. The devil's just as much to uh, blame, but you've got to remember back over there in Job chapter 1 and 2, the devil doesn't get to do anything that the Lord doesn't allow him to do. So, the, you know, that, it's, uh, um, I guess, uh, action through allowance. And so he says he has his way in the whirlwind and in the storm. Uh, I think I've told you this a while back. I remember, I think I was down in Bible school whenever, I think it was an earthquake or something like that, hit Haiti and just demolished it. I mean, just, I mean, thousands of people, I, I don't know, thousands of homes were, were utterly destroyed because of this earthquake in Haiti. And there was this guy that, uh, guy that I knew from SBU that was, you know, he, he thought he was really doing something by defending the Lord. Oh, that wasn't the Lord. That wasn't the Lord. And I, I don't know, this is, days whenever I felt like commenting on the internet, and I said, who are you to say that wasn't the Lord? Do you know what kind of country Haiti is? Do you know what goes on in the country of Haiti? Uh, you, can't, you can't say that the Lord didn't do that. And it, here's the thing, is that the Lord can do that and still be righteous when he does it. But a lot of Christians today can't reconcile those two things together. They can't reconcile the world saying, well, that's wrong, that's bad. And being able to also say that the Lord did it and the Lord was right to do it. You say, well, there were Christians who died. Okay, All right, that's, I'm sure that's the case. Guess what? Every one of those Christians that died in that earthquake went to heaven. All right, I'm failing to see the problem here. You say, well, there was a lot of lost people that went to hell. Yeah, and they deserved to go to hell, just like I deserved to go to hell before I got saved. But you look at some of those places... Uh, the Lord is absolutely involved in that stuff. He says he has his way in the whirlwind and in the storm. Uh, and the clouds are the dust of his feet. Uh, he rebuked the sea. Well, we just got done preaching on that, right? He stood up on the bow of that ship and said, peace be still. So not only can he cause the whirlwind and the storm, 
but he can rebuke the sea, and he says, and maketh it dry. Uh, you're starting to see that. Uh, I'm seeing videos on this stuff right now. It's a big deal, but uh, over there around the Lake Powell area, right? I mean, it's just uh, all that water. You know what they're starting to find? They're starting to find all the towns and uh, stuff that used to be flooded, right? They put up those dams and and uh, flooded those areas and people lost their homes and towns suddenly disappeared. Guess what they're finding now? They're finding all those homes, right? What did he do? Well, he, he'll make it the sea dry. Uh, he can bring in the storm and cause the flood and he can cause a drought. I think what they're calling it over there now is a mega drought. But uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens. I think the, the Northwest got a record amount of snowfall. So, you know, you look around and of course the, the story will change whenever it all floods again, you know. Uh, no matter what happens, whether it's a, a flood or a drought, it's all global warming. <laughs> it's, I guess you call it climate change, I don't know. No, it says, and drieth up all the rivers, and he'll do it. And, and you got a tribulational passage there, because it's going to go three and a half years without rain, just like it went in Elijah's day, because Elijah's going to be the prophet, or one of the two prophets between him and Moses, uh, that are preaching during the tribulation. And so he says, and drieth up all the rivers. Well, you go three and a half years without any rain, guess what happens to your rivers? I bet the, you know, it'll be an amazing sight, and you'll, you'll be there at the end of it, so you'll get to see, I bet you'll be able to walk across the major parts of the Mississippi River on dry ground. I mean, just dry. You'll be able to see the bottom of the Missouri. They'll find all kinds of stuff. They'll solve all kinds of cold cases, I guess. You know, all the, uh, all the bodies at the bottom and the cars and all the kind of stuff that they find whenever all that stuff dries up. Bashan languisheth, and Carmel, and the flower of Lebanon languisheth. The mountains quake at him, and the hills melt, and earth is burned at his presence, yea, the world and all that dwell therein. Now, uh, parts of that may be second advent, but uh, where it says, uh, uh, where it talks about the things melting, yea, the world and all that dwell therein. Uh, there's at least a possible reference there uh, to, that goes out past the millennium because he uh, talks about a new heavens and a new earth and the elements melt with a fervent heat. Uh, but it could just simply be the destruction that happens when he sets foot on the Mount of Carmel and the thing splits in two. Uh, who can stand before his indignation? And who can abide the fierceness of his anger? Well, that gives you a different perspective than the good old boy religion of, you know, me and the, me and the man upstairs, we're, you know, we're tight. You know, we're, uh, we're together. You know, he knows me and I know him and we're just buddies. Oh, man, you're going to have a hard time reconciling that uh, with Nahum chapter 1, verses 2 through 6. What if he's not your buddy? <laughs> what if you're on the wrong side of this thing uh, and all that matches up? with what the Bible says over in the New Testament, where it says uh, of a lost man, it says, the wrath of God abideth on him. And you're getting a perfect picture of the wrath of God right there. And they're going to get it uh, whenever he comes back at the second advent. I don't, listen, if that's how the Lord feels about the wicked right now, and he's long-suffering, he every bit feels that much about the lost right now. There, it's not like he's going to feel this way later. No, he feels this way right now. This is how he felt about you before you got saved. Amen? <laughs> he loved you at Calvary. Some people get that messed up. They say, oh, God loves everybody. No, he loved you at Calvary. 
You go back and you look at John chapter 3, verse 16, and you know what you'll find about that word love? It's past tense. You've got to go to Calvary to get that love. Once you get that love at Calvary, you've got it. But until you go back to Calvary and you get his love on that cross, all you've got is this wrath right here. Who can stand before his indignation? The answer is nobody. Who can abide in the fierceness of his anger? The answer is nobody. His fury is poured out like fire, and the rocks are thrown down by him. And you know what that is? That is the outcome of having put up with sin and rejection by man for 6,000 years. And he put up with it, and he puts up with it, and he puts up with it, and he takes it, and he takes it, and he takes it. I'll tell you what, some, I mean, there's just some stuff that burns me. Um, and, uh, gosh, there was, a, there was a young man at a track meet uh, yesterday, you know, and he's, I guess, the quintessential, uh, oh, modern teenage Christian young man. And uh, a jump didn't go his way. And you know what shot out of his mouth? God D. <laughs> and he said the whole thing. And man, that just, mm, I could have, I could have shook him. <laughs> he's got, you know, he's got three crosses on tattooed on his on his leg there with big old scripture verse tattooed on there. Man, he's he wants everybody to know he's a Christian. And man, whenever something doesn't go his way, he he uses God's name as a curse. Man, that ought never. Never, never happen, but it does. Man, that, that makes me angrier than hearing a lost person use his name that way because it destroys a testimony, destroys his testimony. It shows a lack of character. But what you've got here in, in Nahum chapter 1, verse 2 through 6, that's the Bible photograph of the second coming of Jesus Christ in the day of the Lord. And if you want to know the real reason why uh, a lot of the de denominations reject that premillennial second coming of Jesus Christ literally and visibly to reign on the earth. It's because the scripture prophesies uh, that uh, the prophecies that accompany that particular event in history, what you'll notice is that they're all negative. Oh, it's a day of darkness and gloominess. It's a day of destruction. It's a day of blood. It doesn't paint Jesus Christ the way they want Jesus Christ portrayed. You, and, it, and it fits in with the, the whole biblical, I guess you'd call it exegesis, or the whole explanation of the Bible, because we already went through, I don't know, what, like two months of what the Bible has to say about hell. And if you can't put up with the Bible talking about hell uh, being uh, torment and being on fire and being forever and, and all the things, do you think that they can any more take uh, Jesus Christ coming and killing a bunch of folks? It's the, same kind of, it's the same thing for the same kind of reasons. They can't take anything negative, even if that negativity is true. And it's, uh, it's a shame because, because of that outcome, because of that preaching on hell, I don't know about you, I think we, I brought this up back when we were going through it, and I think just about every hand went up whenever I asked, uh, did hell have anything to do with you coming to Christ? And I think every hand went up. It sure did for me. So, so when you look at that, listen, there is a great positive because of a negative. 
If it weren't for that negative, there'd be a lot fewer people come to Christ. And so you say, well, well, what about this right here? Well, just knowing that Jesus Christ is coming back this way and there's going to be people on the wrong side of that indignation ought to spur you to try to get as many people out of his way as possible and get them behind him. If you're going to be behind him, praise the Lord, that's where you want to be at the second advent. You don't want to be in front of him. You want to be behind him. Uh, they all, uh, all these uh, places that talk about the second advent, they all talk about... Uh, Wrath and fierceness. Let me get over here. Wrath and fierceness and vengeance and rage and fury and jealousy and fighting and killing and stomping and blood coming out of someone till it's running three feet deep on the ground. And in plainer words, the Bible's uh, not, uh, uh, you know, uh, the Bible is not rejected by modern man because it's hard to understand. The Bible is not revised because it's obscure or outdated or archaic. The Bible's not laid aside because it's apocalyptic uh, and symbolical. It's rejected because it's against man. This Bible is against mankind. This Bible is against humanism. This Bible is against uh, glorifying man. I think that's one of the great reasons uh, that you can look at the Bible and say, man, that had to be written by God. Because you look and read about any other book that's ever been written, and it has something good to say about man. Right? Just about anything. I mean, you can go get Charles Dickens and say, well, that was awfully dark and bleak, you know, a bunch of orphans running around. Oh, but there's always, you know, some redeeming quality or some, you know, great thing about uh, somebody in there. There's always a hero. But in the Bible, there's only one hero, and that's Jesus Christ. Even you say, well, what about all the great men in the Bible? What about David? The Bible shows you his flaws. What about Moses? I'll tell you that he killed a man. What about, you know, what about Paul? Well, he... Uh, he disobeyed God and wound up in chains. I'm not telling you that there aren't good things about those men, but the Bible will show you man as he is, uh, not as man wants to portray man. You know, I'm tired of all of this stuff where uh, I've heard it said, and I'm sure you've heard it said too, well, I think that, uh, uh, that mankind, that uh, people are, are at their core good. No. I, don't, I think that the further along that you see atheism take hold, the more wickedness uh, and the more violence and the more greed and the more corruption you're going to find. The further you get from the Bible, the darker and the more dangerous the world becomes. The safest place to be is in a God-fearing community. It's the safest place to be. But uh, a whole lot of things become plain to see when you understand that that Bible doesn't have anything good to say about mankind. I like, I've quoted it several times, uh, but I like it because it, it's, it's a true thing, is that the only thing that you added to your salvation was the sin that required it. That, that's it. That's, that's all you bring to the table. Uh, let us examine uh, a few more references here uh, to go along with these passages. Uh, let's go to Psalms chapter 68, verse 23. Psalms chapter 68, verse 23. Psalms chapter 68, 23 says that thy foot may be dipped 
in the blood of thine enemies and the tongue of thy dogs in the same. There's the blood. And you're going to see a reference after reference of that just river of blood. Uh, Judges, Judges chapter 5, verse 21. Joshua Judges, Judges chapter 5, verse 21. It says, The river of Kishon swept them away, that ancient river, the river of Kishon, O my soul, thou hast trodden down strength. And that's what you're going to see, second advent references, talking about that trotting down, putting down, stomping on. Uh, how about Joel chapter 3, verse 13? Back over into your minor prophets. Joel chapter 3. Joel chapter 3, last chapter in the book of Joel, right before Amos. Joel chapter 3, verse 13. It says, Put ye in the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. Come, get you down. For the press is full, the fats overflow, for their wickedness is great. Now again, you see two things there. Uh, you see the harvest, and it says the harvest is ripe, and then you have a colon. Now what you want to understand there is that there's a difference between the harvest and the reaping, and we've talked a little bit about that. The harvest is the rapture, but the reaping happens at the second advent. That's, the Arm that's Armageddon, that's, that's the destruction. There's a difference between the harvest, harvest is good, productive thing, but the reaping is bloody. And so you'll see there's a difference uh, of about, well, I would say about three and a half years there at the colon. And the Lord does that. The Lord does that over there, and I believe it's in Isaiah chapter, uh, I believe it's Isaiah chapter 9. We always quote it around Christmas time, uh, where it talks about, uh, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, colon, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, Right? that colon separates about 2,000 years because the government never was upon his shoulders at the first advent, but it is upon his shoulders at the second advent. And you look at all the names over there in Isaiah chapter 9, he was never called any of those at the first, uh, at the first advent, but he'll be called Mighty Counselor, uh, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace at his second coming. And so you see the Lord do that with a colon there. Uh, he'll separate lengths of time. Uh, come, get you down for the press is full, the fats overflow. And you say, oh, well, it's just talking about a literal press there. Well, if you keep looking, it says, for their wickedness is great. So the press is full of wicked people. That's a hard thing to kind of, we always want to say those people, right? You know, you think, well, those people that go through the tribulation, those are wicked people. Listen, if the rapture were to happen uh, tonight, I, I mean, listen, I think it'd be tough for a lot of people that you know to even survive uh, even the first six months of the tribulation. But let's say, you know, there might be some people that you know that make it to the end of that thing, and guess what? They're going to wind up in that press. There are going to be some folks that you could know that would wind up there. What are they? They're wicked. You don't know what that time period will do to a person, but they were wicked whenever they started, and they'll be wicked at the end. The, the percent, the probability goes way down once the church is gone. It goes way down. And so what does that mean for us? It means it's, it's a dire situation because, man, I, I, don't, I wouldn't give you a date. I wouldn't give you a year, but I tell you you're close. Go ahead. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I remember, well, I mean, I grew up in this church. And so I remember, you know, back whenever Brother Myers was teaching me a bunch of this stuff and thinking, man, the world's a pretty wicked place, pretty wicked place. You know, that's 2005. If you could have, you know, if you could have sent uh, a DVD back <laughs> of, of just, I don't know, six months of 2023, just news reports and just the typical things going on that you and that you and I have seen in the last six months and sent it back to 2005. Could you believe in 2005 what you're seeing today? You'd you'd been shocked. You said, "There's no way, there's no way it could come to that." And we thought we were. I mean, listen, we were in Laodicea then, but man, Laodicea looks a whole lot different now, doesn't it? And man, you go. In th in, I mean, what you've seen, you've seen happen inside of weeks, months sometimes, just how fast things change. Can you imagine what changes three and a half years with no church, with no Christians? And I say that, you know, I mean, I mean real Bible-believing Christians, not people who just claim the name of Christ. They're, you know, it's maybe rough to say, they're as much the problem as the lost folks are. But anyway... All right, we're, we were there, what, Joel chapter 3, verse 13. It says, get you down for the press is full, the fats overflow, for their wickedness is great. Um, that's the reason, you know, uh, that John, whenever he looks at the thing, he says he was um, trying to think. I thought he, I think the word was astonished, but I don't think that was the word. Uh, but he's, a, he's amazed. He's amazed because what, it's a bunch of people claiming, <laughs> claiming to be quote-unquote Christians. And they're the people murdering Christians and drinking their blood and doing all the other stuff, hunting, hunting down the Jews. Go to Genesis chapter 49, verse 11. Genesis 49, verse 11. Genesis chapter 49, verse 11. Binding his foal unto the vine... And his ass is cold unto the choice vine. He washed his garments in wine and his clothes in the blood of grapes. Well, that's, a, that's an odd thing, don't you think? What does he say? He says he washed his garments in what? In wine? Well, is that, is that what you all do? I mean, I listen, it, uh, since being married, I've done a lot less in my own laundry than I, than I did beforehand. But I've not... Uh, uh, I've never seen, you know, uh, go down there to the laundry room on the occasion that I'm down there. Uh, if I saw a bottle of wine, it'd be, uh, that'd be a real, uh, you know, uh, head scratcher there. Go ahead. But usually it seems like whenever it comes to washing clothes, uh, I've always heard wine's kind of a problem. You know, like how do you get wine stains out? Uh, the cure for around our house is don't have wine around, but uh, we've never had a problem with wine stains. Uh, but here he's wa in, he says he's washing it. It says in his clothes in the blood of grapes. Well, what's he talking about? He's talking about what you've just been reading about. It's not wine. It's blood. All right, uh, Isaiah chapter 63, verse 1. Isaiah 
Hosea chapter 63, verse 1. It says, who is, that, uh, who is this that cometh from Edom with dyed garments from Bozrah, uh, this that is glorious in his peril, traveling in the greatness of his strength, I that speak in righteousness, mighty to save. And you could go on down. You'll see there in verse 2 as well. Wherefore art thou red in thine apparel, and thy garments like him that treadeth the wine fat. It's blood. Go to Isaiah 34, verse 5. Isaiah 34, verse 5. Uh, let's see. Let's, uh, let's start in verse 4. Uh, Isaiah chapter 34, verse 4. And all the host of heaven shall be dissolved, and the heaven shall be rolled together as a scroll, and all their hosts shall fall down as the leaf falleth off the vine, and as a falling fig from the fig tree. For my sword shall be bathed in heaven. Behold, it shall come down. Notice this, from Edomia. That's Edom. And upon the people of my curse to judgment. Look at verse 6. The sword of the Lord is filled with what? It's filled with blood. It is made fat with fatness. And with the blood of lambs and goats and the fat of the kidneys and rams for the Lord hath a sacrifice. Where? In Bozrah. And a great slaughter in the land of Edomia. That's Edom. He's telling you again and again and again exactly where it's going to happen and what he's going to do when he gets there. You know, you talk about people that are, uh, you know, in sports and things like that. You know, I think especially true in like basketball, you know, guys that are really good at uh, stealing the ball, right? They've got really good uh, IQ uh, whenever it comes to certain sports. And, you know, what they're watching is they're watching for somebody to telegraph the pass so they can get over there and, you know, steal it. And uh, the Lord is, the Lord's bold here because he knows what he's got. He, and he telegraphs the whole thing. He says, now listen, I'm going to, I'm not going to, I'm not going to keep it a secret what I'm going to do and how I'm going to do Listen, this is exactly how I'm going to win. And he tells the devil, listen, I'm going to show up here at this time. And this is what I'm going to do. And guess what? You can't stop me. That's, that's power when you've got that kind of, you know, that's, you got confidence when you've got power, and he t he's, been, he's telegraphed the thing for 2,000-plus years, over 2,000 years. This, that's in the book of Isaiah. It's in the book of, well, look at our places we've looked at. Psalms, Judges, Joel, Genesis, Isaiah, Habakkuk. Go look at Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 15. Habakkuk 3, 15. He doesn't just put it in one spot and say, well, you know, interpret it if you can. He says, listen, I'll tell you right where I'm going to be, what I'm going to do, and who I'm going to do it to. i got to get here. Yeah. I'm missing it. There we go. I was right there close to it. Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 15. It says, uh, Thou didst walk through the sea with thine horses through the heap of great waters. Except in this case, the great waters are blood. Those passages all make it abundantly clear that the second coming of Jesus Christ 
is like an Old Testament Jew putting grapes into a wine press and then walking around, crushing out the grapes with his bare feet until the juice comes up to his ankles and his knees, and it stains the short skirt robe which he's holding up. And back in those days, they had a cement circle on the ground. It'd be about six feet to eight feet in diameter. It'd be hollow in the middle. It'd be kind of like an angel food cake pan. And the grapes were dumped into that circular part of that foundry. And he would have spigots at intervals through which the juice would uh, run into leather bottles. Then the men who would tread the grapes would take off their shoes. And they would wash their feet and legs and walk around. And they'd walk around and around that foundry on the grapes until the grapes were all mashed under their feet. And the whole foundry was running two to three feet uh, in grape juice. And the juice would run out into the spigots on the side. And that was the wine press. But that's going to be people. He said, boy, that's a bloody mess. Yeah, but you've got to stop and consider what the Lord has put up with. And what the Lord has took. And how he's handled it. And he'll be right. In the passages that you've read, the second coming of Jesus Christ or the day of the Lord is not described as Christ dying on the cross. Uh, the day of the Lord is not pictured as Christ being virgin born and resurrected. I think it was a great thing that somebody uh, told me a long time ago that, uh, that the great day on God the Father's calendar was not the day his son died on the cross. The day that he has circled on his calendar with arrows next to it you know, I don't know if you're like me. I've got, uh, I'll get like a countdown calendar. You know, whenever I've got something coming up, you know, that I'm real excited for, you know, I'll get a little countdown. For me, it's usually, it's like the last day of school, man, just counting down the days. I keep it up on my whiteboard at the school. I'm, you know, uh, kids ask me, is that up to date? Is that up to date? And uh, just count down the days to the last day. None of them get senioritis worse than I do. I, I mean, and I get it every year. They get it once. I get it every year. And uh, if you were to talk to the Lord, man, what, did, you, did you count down the days to the crucifixion? No, man. What about uh, the second coming? I said, I, he says, uh, he tells you in the Bible, he says he knows the day and the hour. He may not tell you, but he knows. He's got that thing written down, and he's checking his watch, and man, it's getting close. He's looking forward to it. Why? Because that's the day that his son gets exactly what he deserves. Because at that day, that's the day that every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That is a great day for God the Father whenever he sees his son high and lifted up. But we get it. We've got it backwards. See, the cross is our red letter day because that's how we got in. But, boy, the second advent of Jesus Christ to most of the world, they won't look forward to that at all. I'll tell you, what, there's some... some Good days, but boy, there's some good days that I don't necessarily look forward to. I don't really look forward to the judgment seat of Christ. <laughs> I look forward to going to heaven. I don't look forward to having to give an account for every idle word that I uttered. I don't look forward to that at all. But uh, I look forward to the Lord sitting on that throne and making things right that have just been made a mess through the world. Um, the day of the Lord is not a picture of the Sermon on the Mount or the destruction of Jerusalem. Uh, the day of the Lord is a picture of Jesus Christ coming back to Palestine and he's going to land on the heads of 200 million United Nations cavalrymen and he's going to squash them so flat under his feet that their blood runs three feet deep down the land 
of Palestine through the rivers for a space of about 60 miles. 60 miles, three feet deep. Somebody could probably figure up the volume. When Christ comes back on his white horse, which we'll study later, the blood comes up so high that the horse's bridles are dipped in the blood, and the saints who return with Christ dip their feet in the blood. We just read that in Psalms chapter 68, verse 23. We've already read it. He's going to be riding through it on his horse. You're going to walk through it with your feet. That's going to be a truly terrifying picture. But that's the picture of the second advent of Jesus Christ. The first time he came, he came as a lamb. But the next time he comes, he comes as a raging and a roaring lion. Go to Isaiah chapter 31, verse 4, and we'll stop here. Isaiah, well, I got, we may, we may finish just a touch more, because if I finish this, we'll start chapter 15 next time. Uh, Isaiah chapter 31, verse 4. Isaiah 31, 4. For thus saith the Lord, or for, sorry, for thus hath the Lord spoken unto me, like as the lion and the young lion roaring on his prey, uh, when a multitude of shepherds is called forth against him, he will not be afraid of their voice, nor abase himself for the noise of them. So shall the Lord of hosts come down to fight for Mount Zion and for the hill thereof. So whenever he comes, he, it doesn't, he doesn't care what anybody says about him. He doesn't care what any, no, 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 stop, 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 stop. You know, you, you see that happy, you know, somebody's about to, you know, shoot somebody or somebody's about to fight somebody. No, 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 Whenever they see the Lord come, you think that there won't be some people try to try to calm him down, try to talk him down. You know, whenever they start to see the destruction, whenever they start to see the peril, whenever they start to see what the end is, what does he say? It says, he will not be afraid of their voice nor abase himself. He won't humble himself. He won't put himself down. What he came to do, he'll do. And there won't be any talking him out of it. In fact, that's, he talks about that at one point. I'm trying to remember the... I think he says, uh, even if it was Abraham or I want to say, who was the other one? Elijah, maybe. Or no, a uh, Abraham or Moses. He mentions Abraham or Moses. Says, yet, yet if it were Abraham or Moses, he said, I wouldn't change my mind. Because those were two men that could get the Lord to change his mind. And so you look here, and he says, I want to base myself for the noise of them. So shall the Lord of hosts come down to fight for Mount Zion, and for the hill thereof. He said, listen, there's no turning back. This is what it is. There, there's no, maybe I should, you know, there's no talking him out of it. Uh, when the songwriter wrote, he is tramping out the vintage where the grapes of wrath are stored. Some of you know that song? <laughs> the woman who wrote that uttered one of the biggest lies a woman ever uttered since the lie of Genesis chapter 3. No man or woman on this earth but John the Apostle has ever seen the glory of the coming of the Lord because it's going to take place in the future. That woman was a liar. She never saw that. The song might be called the Battle Hymn of the Northern Republic Army, but judged by the book from which the lyrics are extracted, it's one of the most monstrous perversions of Scripture ever given. And it's typical because what did she do? She, she equated the second advent to the Civil War. What does that do? It puts everything that you just read back in history. It's a misappropriation of Scripture. 
You want to be on the right side of it. Last thing I've got here is that's everything you've just read. That's the God of the Bible after putting up with 6,000 years of sin and rejection. Let's pray. Dear Lord God, thank you for this evening that you've given us. Lord, I pray you be with this time of prayer here to come. Lord, I pray that you be with your folks. Uh, Lord, I pray you be with the prayer request. Uh, Lord, our loved ones, our church family, God, the Lord, the needs that are here. Uh, Lord, I think of uh, Amanda's baby and things are going on there. Uh, Lord, we just, uh, Lord, just brings to tears, Lord, uh, all the needs in this room and outside this room. Uh, Lord, and in light of, Lord, what is to come, Lord, help us. Lord, help us. These things I pray in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.